Well, good morning. Hope you've had a good weekend. I know it's a, a blessing to our area to know that the water levels are going down, and so uh, there's still some um, angst about one of the levees. We're hoping that it holds long enough. I think that's lolly bottoms in that area that uh, that it will. So we're still mindful and prayerful uh, of our neighbors who are uh, enduring and now going to be faced with uh, such a tremendous cleanup activity. And so we've got some. Um, points of contact that are out there and, and listening and waiting to see if there are ways that we can be uh, involved with helping some of our brethren in the area. So we will certainly keep you posted as we know more about that. So we're thinking about uh, the past, and I think it would probably be a misstatement to, to just put a blanket statement out there and say that the past was peaceful. There may be elements, points of time where we can say that, but just in a blanket statement, the past was peaceful. And one reason why some people may have the impression of that is because many of the past conflicts that, that we were involved with or our, our, our culture was involved with are, are less prominent in our memories. So as time passes, things don't seem as, as big and bad as they were uh, in that particular moment. They're, sometimes they're just simply forgotten. And so whether in our world or in our families or in our work or in the church, when people are present, there is going to be conflict to some degree. And so the fact is, conflict is inevitable. And there are both positive and negative consequences occur depending on how that conflict is managed. And conflict is not a bad thing. It's not a bad word. It's not a bad experience. In fact, we can have the greatest physical, emotional spiritual, professional growth through conflict. And so it's like strength training, which I did at one time in my life. You know, strength training causes muscles to grow stronger. And what causes that growth is actually the damage that's done by resisting the various amounts of weight that you stress your muscle with. And so as the tearing and the stretching of the fibers occurs and it allows the regeneration and the multiplication of those particular uh, tissue, and so we get what we would say bigger muscles. And so with weight training, the heavier the weight, the more concentration and the more effort it takes to manage that weight, to lift that weight. But the results are more dramatic. And so as children of God and residents of His kingdom, while we are bound to this earth, we are going to live in constant conflict. Our lives are going to be a series of weight training, if you will. And so, children of light resisting children of darkness. And it's not just overt attacks on religious beliefs like, who is Jesus and, and is He really the, the way, the truth, and the life? It's not just overt attacks about baptism or sexual purity or, or heaven. We live in, in conflict with the way even that we perceive and we react to what it means to live in Arkansas in 2019. And so we want to be healthy. And we want to be financially stable. And we want our children to thrive and, and to have all the childhood experiences we can cram into 18 years. We want that for them. And we want to retire. And we want to relax. And we want to travel maybe. And so these hopes and these dreams are not bad in and of themselves. But where our conflict arises is when the pursuit of these achievements, the pursuit of these dreams becomes the focus of our life. And it's because there is a conflict. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, Do not accumulate for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but accumulate for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so Jesus is on a hillside now speaking these words, overlooking the Sea of Galilee where so many from these surrounding seaside towns have have climbed up to hear this man assembled here, a man who spoke like no other teacher they had heard. And so many of these good-intentioned folk had been living in this conflict. It's conflict between the way God had instructed them to live and the way they had been seeing and being taught by these, these leaders, these teachers of the law of Moses, and who had come to demonstrate the way they thought they should live. And so for the poor, as they looked at these upper-class hypocrites, they saw someone to emulate. And so not necessarily in action, but in accumulation. And so it was like, if I had their money... Man, think of what I could do. I I could help this cause, or I could help that person, or I could change this about society if I had what they have. If I was them, then I'd really be somebody. And all of this equated to, this mindset became, God must really love them because look what they have, or look what they can do. And so remember last week we saw how the Pharisees, these teachers of the law, they used that. They used that position for power. And so they spoke these long, eloquent, big wordy prayers to impress people. And, and they made a big scene when they went to the temple and with how much money they were giving and how often they were giving. And they stood as monuments to how to advance the kingdom of God. This is how you do it. This is what God wants. But it was all wrong. All of it was wrong. And so the people had so lifted up this position of these men that they lost sight of the nature of the kingdom of God. And so the individual determines success by what he or she personally values. And these people valued status, power, and money. Much different than it is in America today, right? And so kingdom treasures are stored up not by performing commendable acts, not by giving and how much you give and the way you give, but by belonging to and living by the priorities of the kingdom of God. And so we are creatures committed to things. We are committed to things. Some societies are too poor. Well, everybody has things. They don't have the things that, that we have in the same way, but everybody has things. But we are a society of things. Listen to this analysis. Mr. and Mrs. Thing are a very pleasant and successful couple. At least that's the verdict of most people who tend to measure success with a thingometer. And when the thingometer is put to work in the life of Mr. and Mrs. Thing, the result is startling. There he is, sitting down on a luxurious and very expensive thing, almost hidden by a large number of other things. Things to sit on, things to sit at, things to cook on, things to eat from, all shining and new. Things, 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 things to clean with, things to wash with, things to clean and things to wash. Things to amuse, things to give pleasure, things to watch and things to play, things for the long hot summers, things for the short cold winters, things for the big thing in which they live, things for the garden, things for the lounge, things for the kitchen, and things for the bedroom. Things on four wheels, things on two wheels, things to put on top of the four wheels, things to pull behind the four wheels, things to add to the interior of the thing on four wheels. Things, 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 and there are in the middle, 
Mr. and Mrs. Things, smiling, pleased with themselves, thinking of more things to add to their collection. Security and a castle of things. Well, Mr. Thing, I have some bad news for you. What's that? You can't hear me? The things are getting in the way? But then that's the problem with things. Look at that thing standing outside your house. Whatever its value to the second-hand thing dealer, it means a lot to you. But then an error in judgment, a temporary loss in concentration, and that thing can be a mass of mangled metal being towed off to the junkyard. And what about all these things in your house? Are they any more secure? Yes, it's time for bed, so put out the cat, but also make sure you lock the door and lock those windows. Watch out! There's a thief about. That's the way life goes. Someday when you die, they only put one thing in the box. And that's you. And as someone said, there are no pockets in shrouds. And so an attitude, an approach to life, living like this, bathed in conflict, this conflict between our minds worrying about how long it will take to accumulate how much, or how long it will be before we lose it, and then our minds needing to be free from this worry. That's the conflict that we find ourselves in. So Jesus says later in verse 27, And which of you, by worrying, can add even one hour to his life? The only thing worry changes is your focus. And so that's what Jesus is trying to get across to us here. And so success in any area or any form, when it's achieved through godly means, then that can be honorable. It honors God. So think about the pride that that one has with, with, with the achievement of a child, the first steps that are taken, or, or the first words that are spoken, or, or the first time they dress themselves, no matter what it looks like, or, or the academic achievement. And academic, academic achievement is not about high grades. It's about how they have progressed based on their abilities. Think about the pride in that. Or a good decision that was made that was based on reason. And the list can go on and on. But the point is that that God is honored and God is glorified and God is like a proud parent when His children make progress living their lives the way that He has instructed them to live. And so that's going to look different for each of us because each of us live in different circumstances. We have different opportunities and we have different abilities. And so we should never think that we're going to gain more favor from God or obtain more blessing from God based on what we are able to achieve in this life. So Jesus goes on to remind us that God knows what we truly need. And there is nothing that we need to accomplish to help move us up God's priority list. And so, being so concerned with achievement, what does that do? It draws our time and it draws our attention to things that are disappearing. And so anyone, anything you try to save for yourself on earth is subject to being eaten by some bug, some vermin, <laughs> or it's corroding away or breaking down or being stolen. I was up in the attic not too long ago and got a little toy chest up there that's got some of schoolwork back when I was in elementary school. And you can't, I can't hardly pick up the papers now because what are they doing? They're crumbling, right? And I'm not as old as most of y'all, so I know, what, I know what's going on at your house. So anything you try to save for yourself on earth is subject to being deteriorating. And so attics are full and garages are full and calendars are full of things that have no lasting value. And they can be good things. 
They can be good things. Mother's dishes, elementary drawings, you know, youth trophies, grandpa's tools. They can be good things. But when your happiness or your identity is wrapped up in obtaining or accumulating or hanging on to stuff in this world, then our heart is going to be divided and our loyalty is going to be unclear. And the proverb is true. Proverbs 23.4 that says, Do not wear yourself out to become rich. Be wise enough to restrain yourself. When you gaze upon riches, they are gone. For they surely make wings for themselves and fly off into the sky like an eagle. And it's good, it's honorable to use our abilities and, and the opportunities of life to build careers and to build businesses and to build reputations. God needs His image in every corner of this earth. So as image bearers, we need to be pursuing things. Financial success, financially successful believers supported Christ and the apostles when they were going about during Jesus' time on earth. And they continued to support the apostles and other missionaries as the gospel spread around the world. Financially able believers support the work of the church today and provide assistance to those who are in need. We do that as we are prosper. But the caution is to not let your identity get wrapped up in the success or the failure of those pursuits. It's because when we do, we can assign our worth based on the success or the value of, of that, that pursuit, or success or failure of those pursuits. Which is why our loyalty or our heart, as Jesus says, can be drawn to the treasures of life. When we wrap our identity up in that, then that's where our heart is drawn. So Jesus' command here is simple. It's, it's well-reasoned, as we would expect. Do not place too much value in the things of this world. Because if you treasure them as the most important things in your life, and, and if your time and your energy and your finances go into acquiring those, then one day you're going to find yourself very disappointed when they are devalued or they are destroyed or they are stolen. And this can be a real issue for people and for careers. Because people will tie their worth or their identity to a position or to a company. And so when that position or that company is gone, maybe their position was eliminated, maybe the, the company was acquired. And so th th when they do that, the emotional aftershocks can ruin their life and ruin their family. And Jesus tells us, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And heart, as he refers to it here, is, is talking about loyalty, a deep commitment to something. And Scripture uses heart multiple times in it to indicate the, the central importance to someone. And so it constitutes their true character. And we understand the negative concept of heart, not having your heart in something. I just, my heart just isn't in it. We know what that means and we know what it looks like because how well do we contribute or to accomplishing something if our heart's not in it? Our body's present, but our mind's far from where we are. And, and, and you can tell the difference. When, when you ask somebody or you're working with somebody, you can tell the difference between someone who's completing a task because they feel obligated or they feel pressured to do it versus someone who, who is completing a task because they want to do a good job. You can tell a difference. Or they want to please the person they're doing it for. You can tell a difference. And so it's interesting to me how Jesus didn't say where your heart is, there your treasure will be, because the valuing of treasure 
both follows from and reveals the orientation of our heart. So which direction is our heart oriented to? And these religious leaders that Jesus is is contrasting here, they were lovers of money, lovers of prestige and power. And so they were caught in this this endless cycle of acquiring and and holding on to and wielding and, and grasping and fighting for and conniving to get and to keep. And God wants... Us, He wants our energy and and, and, and our finances and He wants us to use that to pursue eternal value, eternal things. And and one of the most deadly diseases plaguing America today is stuffitis. Stuffitis. It's a terrible inflammation of the life, right? And so one of the most deadly diseases. How is it a deadly disease? It's spiritually fatal. Spiritually fatal. And don't get me wrong, Sean likes stuff. Okay, I like stuff, and I have to check myself <laughs> that my priorities are where they should be when it comes to stuff. And so uh, in the 1940s, uh, Glenn Adsit uh, was a missionary, he and his family, to China. And so uh, they were arrested uh, because obviously Christianity is illegal. And so they were arrested, put under house arrest. And one day the soldiers came and said, you're going to get to go back to the United States. But here's the deal, you can take 200 pounds with you. And so they looked around. They've been there for years. And so 200 pounds. I love a little show, uh, Tiny House Nation, I think. And so they go in and they build these tiny houses. And people are moving from, you know, from a 1,500 to 2,500 square foot home into a three, four, five hundred square foot tiny home. And so one of the first things they have to do is, uh, is the people running the show, of course, and building the house for them, they bring out these little bins and they say, you've got to pare everything down to, to these, these three bins here. This is what you can keep and put in that house because there's no room for anything else. And it is absolutely turmoil, them trying to decide what can we keep and what do we, what do we get rid of? And so I was thinking about that when the story of this missionary. And so, you know, the, his, his wife wanted the family heirlooms. She wanted to keep those. He wanted his typewriter so that he could, you know, do his letters and, and, and writings and stuff. And the kids, of course, they wanted their toys. They wanted to keep all of that. And so they weighed everything. They struggled through this. And they cut this and that. And finally, right on the dot, 200 pounds. If you ever tried to fly, I don't know how in the world anybody's ever managed to get right on the dot for the weight level of, of luggage. But 200 pounds they did. Pared it down. And so the soldiers came and they said, it's time, are you ready to go? And the family said, yes, we're ready to go. And the soldier asked, did you weigh everything? And they said, we absolutely did. And the soldier asked, did you weigh the kids? And everything changed. So we can convince ourselves that the pursuit of, 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 of status or professional advancement or the pursuit of financial gain, that it's not a sinful pursuit. We can convince ourselves of that when, when the purpose and the motivation or, or the reason is that so we're in a better position to serve. I'm doing this so that I can serve God better. But see, what that does is it assumes that God is not able to use us unless we have more money or unless we have more authority or unless we have more free time or unless we have a bigger house or or a certain job or something that we do not have at the present time, unless I get this, I can't serve God as well. But when I get this, I can serve Him ten times better. And that's the same wrong thinking that clouded the minds of the Pharisees. And it's also the same sort of thinking that 
they allowed the have-nots to believe, which left them spiritually broken. Because there's another side effect of stuffitis. It results in anti-kingdom behavior. Jesus goes on, The eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And so we've heard the term, you know, the eyes are a window to the soul. And I would say there's a lot of truth to that. Jesus alludes to it here. And there's this underlying wordplay in, in the original, which we, we have to simply translate in, in our translation as healthy or unhealthy. But the eyes were believed to allow light into the body, and that light was needed to, for the healthy functioning of, of the body. And so a dark eye, an eye that does not allow light in, would result in a, an unhealthy body. And so in this context of where your treasure is, there your heart will be, then someone who has a a, a diseased or a darkened eye is someone who's stingy with their possessions. Someone who's stingy with their time or or their generosity. And someone who, the healthy eye, is someone who's generous with their stuff. And so it's this eternal contrast between light and darkness and good and evil and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And so when our motives for success or our motives for wealth or opportunity, or generosity, when they are solely based on selfish reasons, then our eyes are darkened to the kingdom light of God. Because as Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And Jesus is not talking here about working full-time hours in one place and moonlighting or PRN at another. He's pointing to what was very well known and what probably many of those who were sitting on the ground here listening to him had already experienced. And he brings up this, this comparison to slavery. And the only comparison to slavery in the first century and slavery in the 17th and 18th century North America, the only comparison is this. You can only be slave to one master, and that's Jesus' point. You might work for multiple masters in some capacity through a mutual agreement, but there is one who has the ultimate and final say on where, what you do and what you don't do. And the reality of that situation is you're going to have divided loyalty because someone's going to feed you better than and someone's going to treat you kinder than. So your loyalty cannot be 50-50. It's impossible. And living in the kingdom of God requires a heart that fully recognizes and acknowledges God. God as the the, the ruling, directing master to whom we are fully devoted. As someone said, where riches hold dominion of the heart, God has lost His authority. What did Jesus say? You cannot serve God and anything else. So pull out your financial statements. Pull out your your checkbook, your your credit card receipts, your bank statements or your bills and see where are you spending your money. How would you feel if Jesus were sitting beside you helping you balance that register? How would you feel about what you're spending your money and your time on? You know He already knows what you do with your finances, right? So take an account of what you do with your time. What will you say to him when he asks you to give account of your time?
Where are you laying up treasure? Is it here on earth? Is it in heaven? Where's your heart? Where is your allegiance? Is it on things of the earth or things in heaven? Is your eye clear? Receiving the spiritual truths and, and, and blessings? Or is it bad? Is it clouded? And God's truths are shut out. There was a little boy who was swimming in a river and he was flailing and splashing his arms water all around. And, and this man was, was walking by and immediately on the, the shore in front of him was this sign. And it said, no swimming. And a man walks up, looks in the river and says, boy, can't you read this sign? It says no swimming. And the boy said, please, sir, I'm not swimming. I'm drowning. Because sometimes swimming and drowning look a lot alike. And I think sometimes we think we are swimming when we're actually drowning. Ask God to reveal your true heart. To unmask your intention so that you can, can clearly evaluate whether or not your motives or, or kingdom focus or are they selfish? And if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And it's that darkness that Jesus Christ overcame. He came into the world, a world that was clinging to darkness, but the light overcame the darkness. And the way we overcome is by submitting our lives, submitting our loyalty submitting our focus, submitting our purpose to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, confessing His name, repenting of our sins, being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins so that we can receive the gift of God's Spirit and residence in His eternal kingdom. And then we begin today living in His kingdom come, His kingdom now, His kingdom glimpse as part of the body of Christ, the church, in our lives, and in our professions, in our activities, in our families, in our pursuits, in our decisions. All of that now focused on Christ and His will. But Satan clouds that. He clouds that with stuff. And he loves to infect us with stuffitis. We become sidetracked and we lose our focus. But God calls us back today to refocus our attention on Him and on Christ and on His will. And He calls us to come and give over the burden, the burden that we're chasing, the, 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 the endless pursuit of the, the, the goal that this life sets for us because it keeps getting moved just out of reach. And so we keep pursuing and we keep pursuing and it's an aimless pursuit because we'll never hit the mark. But Christ is our mark. And this morning He calls us to Him to surrender our will to His. And this morning as we stand and sing a song of encouragement, if we can help you in any way in your walk with Christ, will you come as we stand?